0: It's the start of the 21st century, and Doctor Who, Primeval, and Torchwood have made British sci-fi television credible again. The BBC is receptive to the idea of a new adult-orientated sci-fi drama, with the timeless theme of colonising a new frontier, especially since it's coming from one of the bright new stars of British TV yet outcasts failed to find the audience it wanted in 2011 and already seems to have faded from popular consciousness. Hello, I'm Gareth Preston. Welcome to Very British Futures. And it's great to welcome back three intrepid guests who've all previously appeared on this podcast. Nikki Smalley, Dr. Rebecca Ray and John Isles. So how are you today?
1: I'm good thank you, thank you for having me on again Gareth.
0: It's a pleasure. Yeah it's
2: great to be here again.
3: Uh, All right thank you Gareth for welcoming me back.
0: Great stuff, looking forward to this. So today we are talking about Outcasts and there will be spoilers. Outcasts was an eight-part series broadcast on BBC One between the 7th of February and the 13th of March, 2011, with a repeat the following year. It was the brainchild of Ben Richards, who'd already made an impact as the creator of BBC dramas Party Animals and The Fixer. After researching the experience of the early European settlers in Australia, he was looking to write about being a pioneer, and forming a new community in an unknown land. Since that was a difficult story to tell in the present day, a new planet and a futuristic setting seemed the ideal stage. The series was three years in pre-production, but then a full season was greenlit on a tight deadline. Ratings began in the middling range of 4.3 million on Monday prime time, and dropped steadily to 1.5 million especially once the show was moved to a late-night Sunday slot. Outcasts was released on DVD and Blu-ray in 2011 by BBC Worldwide. So, Nikki, would you like to, for people who haven't watched this show uh, or have forgotten about it, would you like to describe uh, Outcasts for us?
2: Set in the near future of 2060, Outcast tells the story of the survival of Earth evacuees who have been settled on the planet of Carpathia for the last 10 years. Most of the population live within the confines of the pioneer town of Fort Haven, led by President Richard Tate. Each episode sees him and the core members of his protection and security team deal with various crises, such as new evacuees, environmental disasters, attempted coups, strange and fatal illnesses, or issues relating to the mysterious advanced cultivars or ACs for short. As well as these, they begin to discover evidence that they might not have been the first advanced life form on Carpathia, and perhaps even now, they may not be alone. Tensions rise further when Julius Berger, the former Vice President of the Earth Evacuation Programme, arrives with a hidden agenda and uses the stresses of these events, as well as people's personal lives, in order to undermine Tate's
0: authority. Back then, in 2011, did you watch this show? I'll I'll start with you, Rebecca.
1: Uh, yeah, I definitely watched it back when it was airing at the time. it was I remember it, it was being heavily promoted as being like another Survivor's type of show. So, I mean, the reboot, that is, which uh, the, the reboot wasn't very good. So that already wasn't a selling point. But I, I gave it a go anyway, and I did manage to sit through all of it with my partner, even though we felt like it had... <laughs> It didn't get going till the last episode, really, which is very frustrating. It was very slow and plodding. And then suddenly at the end, exciting stuff happens. Cliffhanger, credits, and that was it.
2: Yeah, I, I watched it as it came out. And uh, like Rebecca, I really struggled with it at the time uh, and agree that it was only the last episode where you felt it was going somewhere. Though, interestingly, on re-watching it this time, I felt slightly different. I don't know whether it's because I watched it while doing other things so my, I was slightly distracted but I found I enjoyed it a lot more this time because I'll be honest that when, when you asked me to do this I weren't actually looking forward to re-watching it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get saying to me saying you're choosing to because people are saying oh, I've heard it's not good you don't want to watch that when I said I'm doing them, I'm like, oh, I've seen it before and they're like, you're watching it again? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
2: putting myself through it again. Yeah, I felt it was like a, it was like punishing myself, but um, surprisingly, on second viewing, I I um, gave it more credit.
0: Mm, I was in a sort of similar boat. I watched the first episode, and I sort of recorded the rest, and then just never got around to watching it. I was, I was not I was not gripped by the opening, and I didn't hear much positive buzz from uh, anywhere to make me go back to it. So this time, watching it on uh, on Blu-ray for this podcast is the first time I've seen it.
3: Well, like you, Gareth, uh, I had high hopes for anything sci-fi that was new after, you know, the, the glory days of, of Doctor Who's return and, you know, on a mainstream channel. So I, I gave it a chance. I watched the first one. thought, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's, like, great. We, we've seen Jamie Bamber, you know, the... Uh, English boy done good in America, you know, I, I, and thinking, you know, stunt casting, let's get somebody from a popular sci-fi series, in, in his case, Battlestar Galactica, but good to him with his native accent. But um, he just didn't grab me enough. I, I can't even remember if I watched the second one. Like you, I think I definitely take them all, but I just never watched it. And then when, when Rebecca said, oh, Gareth's going do Outcast for Very British Features, Nobody will watch it with me. Will you come on the show, please? This is before you were <laughs> asking. So, uh, all right, okay. I'll be a good friend. And, and it gave me an opportunity to give the series a second chance. When I was watching it with Rebecca, we were doing like one or two episodes a week, watching it together. And uh, doing it online, keeping social distance. I just kept losing track of what episode we were on. I'm thinking, is this <laughs> the third one? So go, no, it's, it's the second or, or it's the fifth. I was thinking it was the sixth. You know, my notes, I'm writing episode one, episode two. So, in, in that sense, it dragged a little bit. No, I, I, I gained, I'm glad I watched it. Um, mm. But I can go into that later.
0: You, you're commenting on the sameness of the episodes. That actually reminds me of something. Mm. Uh, one of the things that struck me is that every episode ends with the next week sort of trailer that has seemed to become a bit of a standard of in drama now but what struck me is that often the next week trailer tells you practically nothing about what happens next week instead of giving you some idea this is the story this is the dilemma happening next week usually it's lots of faces of people looking intense or running with the boom 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 bass drum beat going underneath it and then it speeds up Dun, 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 dun. and really you could take any next week pretty much any next time trailer and stick it on the end of any episode
3: all the trailers are the opposite of the series the trailers are action 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 the series is let's go for a walk for 20 minutes
0: there's a, a good phrase um the guardian did a they actually did a week by week sort of blog on it they were reviewing episode four, I think, and they sort of said, oh, it's, it's the first episode where I'm not relieved when it, fi- when it finally grinds to a close. So, <laughs> unfortunately, that kind of sums up my feelings uh, watching it. Having said that, though, I think it does improve. I think the last, mm. as, as you said, uh, I think the last three or so episodes, we are building up some momentum, unfortunately, it's uh it's too little too late by that time.
1: yeah yeah it is and i mean i've been look- I was looking at reviews from the t- uh, contemporary reviews from the time from various newspapers websites and such and they just all say things like irredeemably awful series drab turgid staggeringly uninteresting excruciating sci-fi rubbish school play standard Looks cheap, unrealistic. I can't agree with that saying it's school, school place standard. Looks cheap because it definitely doesn't look cheap. It's. I, I don't think that's something you can criticise it for.
2: I, I agree, and and I'd read an interview with Ben Richards where uh, he was arguing where he said he, he thought that the special effects looked rubbish. Thinking you know, of what the BBC put particularly at that time and even now, I think it's on par with any of them. I don't think it looks mm. substandard. I think it's elevated. Uh, by where it's filmed in, in, in Africa. I think, I think you know, it's a gorgeous uh, setting uh, for Carpathia. And uh, I, I think, look-wise, you can't fault it. I, I disagree no. with those reviews.
0: By all accounts, it was quite a gruelling production because uh, uh, I was watching The Making Of that's on the, the Blu-ray oh. and they were saying how often, if they'd, like, go to a location and by the time... Th- th- they usually they could only go to a location once because uh, of the distance because of the distances exactly involved you know they they couldn't afford any uh, to retake if anything or they, well they just have to replan if it didn't if it didn't work out but uh yeah just jumping back uh, gary lewis yes scottish scottish I recognize his face. I couldn't p- place him in anything. but I've, Billy I've
3: Elliot's dad.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, Billy Elliot's dad. Yeah, he's got a fantastic face. Mm. And he is good, but as is often the way outcast outcasts, it all just gets a bit stretched out. So there's a bit mm. too many. Let's sit down and have a chat. And Pack will say a few more gnomic things. Then we'll carry on.
3: You know, this—I this, think we might have had this conversation before. But how, how the way that science fiction programs that are very light on having aliens or other life forms don't seem to be, with the exception, I think, of the Expanse or revised Battlestar Galactica, they don't seem to catch on with audiences, do they? Because uh, mm. Firefly, obviously, a very devoted audience but that got canned. Moonbase 3 going back a lot further. Um, I can think of some other...
0: Mm, Star Cops.
3: Star Cops. Mind Mm. you, poor poor scheduling. But again, you're right. What is it about non-alien sci-fi that doesn't seem to catch on and yet they have a devoted on? So I don't think there's an outcast following. There's no Bring Back Outcasts or a fan group in the way that we have Browncoats, the Firefly or or even Blake Mm. 7. Yeah,
0: there's, I was not, I'm not aware of any real kind of campaign to sort of continue it. Uh, Even the
3: Tripods has a big, you know, devoted fan base.
0: That's true. In fact, before we were, before today when we recorded this podcast, I had a look around on the internet to see if anybody had an Outcasts fan site up yeah. there. Couldn't find one. The only references I could find to Outcasts were either official ones from the BBC, mm. or just kind of general reviews, you know, amongst a load of other reviews. I, of exactly.
3: You, mm. you you know, when I've been mentioning to people that a fans, they know uh, I'm going to be talking about Outcasts, they've never heard of it or they don't remember it.
0: That's uh, yeah, I've I had a, a similar reaction from people. And it's a bit surprised because it's not that old.
2: Some of the the, the reviews, even on the specific episodes, are quite harsh. And and, and I don't get why they seem to latch on straight away that they didn't like it and beat it down, really. Because although, admittedly, as I said, I didn't like it at the time. When I've watched it this time, I seem to have appreciated it a lot differently. And maybe I, too, was swept up in that because it was all over. I remember it being... Mm. People just barraging all this show, it's rubbish, whatever. Yeah. Maybe I was just swept up in that. I don't know.
1: I think that's a good point. There was a bit of a pile on at the time. Everyone just I think, yeah, the reviews are overly harsh because as we said, it's not it's hard to get through, but it's not that unwatchable. I have watched absolutely dreadful, boring stuff that are much, much More tedious and worse than this, you know. And this Mm. I've watched twice, and I was able to get through it. And
0: Mm. that is, I I, actually I agree definitely on the review front. There was definitely uh, some bandwagon jumping going on. I think it's a bit like in Doctor Who, where a few years ago everyone was saying it's too complicated. And that seemed to become the standard phrase that it it had replaced the wobbly sets that people used to talk about. And now the kind of go-to phrase was, oh, it's too complicated now. One thing you cannot say is that it looks cheap. No, definitely not. As you say, Nicky, you could put that out today and it would stand up quite happily, I think, against uh, pretty much uh, any show.
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, they must have spent a lot of money on it part of because of filming abroad there's probably some co-production with BC America I think um yeah. but but yeah the the CGI shots of the spaceships are quite restricted aren't they and it was yeah. in the first episode it's it's sort of the camera's always on the spaceship bridge with the captain it's probably the same one for their control room isn't it just redressed or whatever but you know why build another set anyway you know it's, um, <laughs> it's the same earth technology but I did like that the ship had uh, gravity rings, you know, mm. to create um, gravity uh, on board, artificial gravity. That, that was a nice touch, you know. So it was trying to be scientifically realistic. Mm. I suppose it was being non-sci-fi friendly for, for, for those that aren't, aren't that into science fiction. But, I mean, Ben Richards said in that Den of Geek interview, he's quite unashamedly written a genre show rather than, a, you know, just another procedural you know, mm. he knew some people might not watch it because it's sci-fi, but that's what he wanted to make, and and that's what he succeeded in, you know, so maybe mm. that's why it's so slow as well, you know, to gradually introduce its idea of the entities, the aliens, the ACs being clones and, and, and all that kind of stuff.
0: I like the technology, I think they get the right level of technology, that it, to kind of ground it a bit, it's not, we're not in Star Trek, people aren't Coming out with tricorders with uh, you know with a, an endless supply of different kinds of beams for every kind of situation.
1: I was just going to say because I was also reading about interviews at the time where they're saying American audiences responded better to it than British audiences. And they seemed more excited for it over there.
2: No, That's interesting. They were full of English people and they just like watching us. Do they?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> this undoubtedly is very seriously intended. This show, maybe that's part of the trouble.
1: Yeah, there were some reviews at the time that really bothered me. I forget which newspaper, it was one of the newspapers, but they were saying some, uh, it was the Independent that's saying, Oh, I'm not a sci fi fan, but this, and from episode one, Outcast rekindled my old prejudices against sci fi. But then I was sucked in because the story could be seen as allegorical. And I'm thinking, do not know anything about sci-fi sci-fi is allegorical (laughs) this kind of thing very frustrating like all the time all this it's sci-fi but it's not got aliens and monsters or spaceships it's it's like real
2: and also i find that people blur the lines as well particularly Mm. now where we've got like comic book movies and and fantasy I think people just tend to lump it all in one. A slight example would be, uh, I once went to see Carl Davis at The Sage. He was doing, um, uh, it was supposed to be a night of science fiction uh, where he he was um, conducting an orchestra and they were doing Doctor and Weather. But he also did stuff from comic book films. He did a bit of Lord of Rings. To him, (laughs) lumped it all as sci-fi, you know.
0: (laughs) I think there's a lot of good ingredients in uh, outcasts i think if, there's lots of stuff if you look at it individually in terms of mm-hmm. subplots and characters there's uh, there's nothing wrong with them at least you know on paper and but there's something got lost somehow when the, somehow it managed to be less than the sum of its parts one thing that was interesting when we were researching for this episode that you that you found rebecca when this programme was initially announced by the BBC, they released a synopsis that was a little bit different to what we uh, ended up with. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading it.
1: OK, yeah. So this is from 24th of May 2007, BBC Press Office. BBC Drama today announces that Outcasts, a brand-new high-concept series from Qdos Film and Television and Ben Richards, brackets, spooks, party animals, close brackets, is in development by BBC Wales for BBC One. Set in space, with the future of Earth looking increasingly precarious, the race is on in outcasts to find an alternative home in the universe. In return for their liberty, a group of social misfits and criminals are sent to be the pioneers of a large new settlement on any planet. They contain a variety of different types, from the brilliant deviant to the petty thief. They are the outcasts, fascinating but ultimately dispensable, who must build the conditions for a new life. Outcasts is a tense and fast-paced series about cooperation and conflict, idealism and power, sexual competition and love. Most of all, it is about our life's big imperatives: cheating death, seeking suitable mates and surviving as a species. Jane Tranter, controller of BBC Fiction, says, following the unique success of time travel in Life on Mars, I'm naturally extremely excited about the dynamic duo of QDOS and Ben Richards joining forces to create a further dimension in BBC drama. Jane Featherston, joint MD, QDOS Film and Television, says, the colonisation of space by humans is only a matter of time. And we think that Ben Richard's brilliant vision of what life will be like when that happens will offer audiences a dramatic, original and entertaining new drama arena.
0: What really jumped out at me was the emphasis there on sort of like the sexual and Mm. the choosing mates.
1: Yeah, they make it sound like it's going to be, I don't know, like skins or something, you know, full of Mm. sex. and.
0: It's going to be Love Island in space.
1: Yeah, and a lot of stuff, a lot of emphasis on all these people being... Deviants, criminals mm. Thieves and stuff, which makes sense Why it's called Outcasts, because that never really That title doesn't That title suits the original press release, but I don't think it t- Suits the actual show as well
0: No, I mean, you could argue Certainly that the ACs Are mm. outcasts, but uh, They're only part of the Story. I think it is a case of the premise Changed a bit from what it was At the time they wrote that press release And uh, because of some parts Of it are there, but at that point, it sounds a bit too close, a bit literal to the whole sort of transportation to Australia.
1: Australia. Yeah, it's like a suicide squad kind of thing, isn't
0: it? Mm, that's a good way of putting it.
1: In the re- actual show, it ended up being the, the creme de la creme, the elites, the best of mm. the best, who got sent out, off, wasn't
0: it? They keep it as a mystery. We never really find out what's going on on Earth. No. <laughs> Do you think that, I mean, would you like to
1: speculate? What? I mean, they make references to things like fleeing destruction, nuclear conflict on Earth. There's something about a Shanghai uprising, Oslo talks, and something about San Francisco falling into the sea during an earthquake. So it's not quite clear whether it's environmental or nuclear or war or what.
0: So that, that was something I, because at times I thought, you know, here we are, this is the last of humanity. That sometimes seems to be the message, and uh, other times it's well, Earth's still there, but there's just there's going to be no more spaceships coming.
2: Mm. Uh, I mean, to me, it seems likely that there's probably been some sort of uprising, because it's interesting that trying trying to go back over my nose and just making sure I'm right, but it's it's very much a Western culture that has survived. Mm. Um and we particularly seem like the Shanghai thing, it makes you wonder whether it was tensions between East and West and East have took the Earth, so the West's gone out into space.
0: That... Oh interesting. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, would one you do wonder perhaps if there are other colonies, maybe that's the place it would have gone if it had lasted for more seasons that there were <laughs> rival colonies.
1: I know what Ben, because I found what Ben Richards says he wanted it to be followed up with for season two. I'm just finding my notes.
0: We're told that it's sort of, it's 10 years old, Fort Haven. But what's striking is the way that everybody is still living in one place. Yeah. And they're pretty much living on top of each other, for that matter. That would make sense if there was, if it was a genuinely hostile environment out there. Mm or there were dangerous animals or something, but there's not. And you begin to, and I wonder if this is something that that could have been explored. Why is Fort Haven surrounded with these huge walls? And there's a definite sense that people are discouraged from going outside. Mm -hmm. Going outside the, the town seems to be something that's very tightly controlled you certainly don't get any impression that people are just going out for a walk
2: initially i, I associated that to the um kicking out of the acs in the in the sense of maybe if the com- if we're confined there's no chance of contamination with those survivors of they're still out there but then there's that episode where they go to the sea where they follow that uh original pioneer to the to the sea and mm-hmm. the top how they've been told never to go to that that specific place I think the do they call it a black zone or something like yeah they
1: called it
0: it was mm. this is was, this is episode five mm-hmm. yeah
2: but they never quite explain why why they were told to stay away what you know with a specific event or or is it just because those early pioneers saw the um those remains that you in episode five obviously you get that remains of the um of, of the previous life forms that uh, lived on Carpathia and, and did they not want those people uh, people at Fort Haven to know particularly early on when everything was probably still up in air um it's it's not it's 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 elements like that 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 un- lack of clarity mm. just sort of well what what are those reasons they're a bit annoying, really. They mm. called
1: it the closed zone, and it was due to radiation. But as that pioneer pointed out, it wasn't as widespread as they made the leaders made out.
0: Mm. There does seem to be a sense that the the people and the authorities in charge are sort of keeping the population in check. Yeah, with with these kinds of stories, I'm I'm struck, but why? Why we don't have any homesteaders? You know, there are no farms or no. or any kind of sort of outpost away from this concentrated.
1: It's unusual because if you look in history at colonies, they expand, they spread out from the original base, and like you said, they'll have farmers and such. They do, but Capay on Capay, it's just all stuck in this tiny little spot, and mm. it's very strange. Like you said, they don't go out for a walk, they don't go to the beach or anything. It's
3: but the thing is, the land isn't supporting their crops, mm. so they're not ready to move out. There's no point. we aren't going oh. be farms because they're having trouble growing food because the entity, the aliens, are stopping plants growing as well as oh. as, as humans uh, reproducing. That's so, a good point. So they can't leave, but then Mitchell, Jamie Bamba, thinks, no, we need we need to have a second colony, you know we, we need to have a little. Town or whatever you know, we shouldn't all be in one place. Mm. Obviously, take to be overprotective because of what happened when they landed, all the children dying. I think mean, he's been overprotective. Yeah, I suppose he's a, a benign dictator in a way, isn't he? Hmm.
0: He's he's an interesting Richard. I think it's a case of. I think he is in so in many ways a reasonable man. He certainly thinks of himself as a reasonable man, but in a way, he's so. To him, what he decides is so reasonable, he can't really understand why anyone would disagree with him or, or sort of challenge him, because it's obvious to him.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's, he's used to giving orders, uh, and obviously he was part of the sort of group, wasn't he, to decide who, who went, uh, mm. who was chosen, because you know that's how he worked with uh, Berger, didn't he?
0: Julius Berger. Who we shall speak more of soon, I think. In some ways, it's a good thing you give your bad guys good arguments. It's, it's, it's a good bit of writing to do this. And when he says to Tate, your ideas are so small, you know, is this all you've achieved in, in 10 years? Mm. He probably thinks, well, he's kind of got a point, really. Yeah. You know,
1: it's just so odd, this place, because it's like me and John were commenting on this like, all the time going, Why aren't there any land vehicles for getting around? They walk everywhere, Mm. not even bicycles, because they seem to be anti. I don't know, because they don't have livestock is banned. It's only got to be a vegetarian diet by the looks of it. So they seem to be anti pollution. So it's like, well, why not have bicycles then or rickshaws or something? You know, there's
0: that is a good point, actually. Why aren't there any? Yeah, why aren't there any vehicles? I hadn't, you know, that hadn't actually occurred to me. But that is a good point. I mean, we're talking about. I think it might be worth going a bit positive and talking about what what we uh, we like about Outcasts.
1: I remember liking Cass best. He's probably the most interesting character in it. Mm. And I think the best. I remember saying at the time, saying Episode Seven was probably the most fun we've had so far. Where Cass is having and and Flora doing some kind of run around thing, trying to one's trying to avoid the other and all these secrets about Casa coming out and it's a bit like jumping, you know, he's jumping through windows, avoiding people hiding and stuff and Fleur's trying to track him down and it just seemed quite fun, that episode. <laughs> and it'd be nice to see more of that because I feel like, yeah, the rest of the time it's... we like the sh- I like the ship designs in it and as we said before, the settings, the South, South African location filming is good. It looks good.
0: Definitely, it was a good choice. In, uh, surprisingly, apparently they were initially thinking of uh, it was going to be based in Wales mm. and they were filming in Wales and whilst Wales uh, has proved to be quite a versatile location, I, um, I think you kind of, you would always know, really, you know, you, we were still in the British Isles, where, whereas if you go to South Africa, you've got a, a, a different kind of light
1: to it. Mm, I was thinking, I like the mysteries as well, because there's that mystery about the, uh, you know, the skeletons, the bones, Mm -hmm. the the remains of some kind of early humanoid thing, and then there's the mystery of what else is on this planet, these... How do we describe these amorphous entities?
0: Well, that is a whole debate Mm -hmm. uh, in itself. Again, they're kept very ambiguous, and there's nothing wrong with that in itself. Are they a race of in, of advanced individuals, or is it something that comes directly from the planet? Is it a kind of Gaia type?
3: Well, it chooses the forms of people that you're going to be friendly towards. So Tate, it's his children who, who tragically died uh, funnily enough from the aliens killing them um, when they arrived uh, to speak to him. Now, he knows they're not ghosts because he doesn't believe in them because he's a rational man, he's a scientist, isn't he? Um and then you've got Tate appearing as Tate to himself as well. It replaces VXP Josie, the one that that uh, comes back. Mm-hmm. Now, her mm-hmm. kids notice something different. in fact, she asks them asks her kids what love so they're studying us. they're trying to work out what humans are, but then mm-hmm. you know they tell Tate later on that you're not welcome here we made We made the other humanoid species extinct. We're going to do the same to you.
1: So clearly they want
3: the planet for themselves. What if there's like, maybe there could be two factions because they broadcast DNA through the airwaves, don't they, to create the the virus that killed the kids initially. They do the same to stop plants growing and and halt fertility in humans. And yet they do the same in the reverse. They help the ACs to become uh, reproductive, don't they,
1: when ACs were not
3: made to, to, to have children. So, so there's two factions maybe, one that likes humans,
0: one that doesn't. Or, that or... is possible. I mean, it's possible that's where we would have gone if it lasted mm. longer. That might have been. We might have discovered there were divisions within the aliens.
3: Or maybe they lived there before the other humanoids and they evolved. Mm. Um, it's, uh, your guy theory is interesting, but I get mm. the impression that if they appear as people then there's individuals in this kind of entity
2: race. I, I do feel that they suggested, you know, in that conversation where Liam Cunningham's basically talking to himself, I feel like they suggested that the whatever it is has always been there to some degree, um, or, or should I say has been there prior to the life form that was before humans was there because it, it did sound like the other race came or appeared on that planet and the entity nav- navigated to its destruction or whatever and wants to do the same with humanity. The, the show gives you so many questions really that, that it's almost frustrating that they're not answered and I know I know I read an interview where Ben Richard says he, he was going to work uh, on it as a book um, and mm-hmm. and I wish that book was here,
0: so we can <laughs> hopefully
2: get answers to those questions.
0: I think the aliens do provide some of the most memorable little moments. Is that um, little bit again? It's Episode Five, which is actually a bit of a favourite of mine. When the uh, the astronaut Pack, who calls himself Pack, comes back into town and then takes Cass and Fleur out out to the beach. One of my favourite bits is that hes uh, he says he was uh, accompanied by his dog. He met his uh, pet dog on this planet. And then we see the dog and there's that lovely little scene at the end where we see the dog and it's on its own. It's not being seen through anybody's particular point of view, mm. like an illusion. So it's there. It's definitely physically there and it goes behind a, a rock and then just vanishes. It's a lovely, eerie little moment, that. And I'd I'd like to see more of that kind of uh, moment. It made me think a little bit, have either of you seen um, Solaris? No, I haven't seen that.
2: Yes, Uh, I have seen Solaris, yeah.
0: Because Solaris, originally a novel, was turned into uh, a film, well, it's been been filmed twice, uh, probably the more famous 70s Russian film. And then there was a more recent remake, starring George Clooney. And in that, is about a planet that uh, somehow it's alive, and its way of communicating with the humans who are trying to study it is that it manifests these sort of solid ghosts out of their memory, of people that they've lost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's quite possible that it could be the planet, and this is its way of communicating, set uh, not quite as benign a way, however.
1: We do get, I think we do get the impression that they don't like the forte, even at, at the very least. Because wasn't there an implication, wasn't it implied that they're more on the side of the ACs?
0: There does seem to be a link. The ACs do seem to be more in tune with the planet, mm. which could explain why they are being allowed to reproduce. Mm. Whereas uh, one of the themes is that the fertility rate has plummeted uh, at Fort Haven.
2: I, I was just going to say, and and it's interesting as well. Even though you never, from my memory, you don't you see the ACs talking to the entity, but you know ne- you don't see the entity while they're talking to it, like you do when Fort Haven um, members are talking um, to the entity. But you do get the gist that. It's a more civil conversation than the than what the Fort Haven people are having with them
1: mm. Mm. it's interesting, Gareth that you said allowed to reproduce because we don't it's never said in the show what's causing the fertility because it's also affecting the Uh, crop seeds as well, isn't
0: it? That's true. And and we discover that these aliens can sort of transmit DNA. We learn about this disease that uh, wiped out a lot of, uh, especially the children, uh, soon after they landed on the planet. In the final episode, the colonies come under attack from another disease. And this time, they're able to come up with a defence. If they are an alien race, then the majority of them are definitely against the humans. It would, it would appear. And then at the end, we get this sort of sense that um, they're going to hold back and they're going to keep judging us. In fact, Tate gets a moment that suddenly made me think of Star Trek's Picard, because he says, "I forgive me, I forget the exact quote, but he says something about, sort of like, I don't care if some super evolved aliens are. If you're choosing to be ju- judging us, we're going to keep on fighting. And it's a bit similar to Picard talking to Q and when he says, this is the same old story. Self-appointed aliens judging us. It certainly there's a hint that they, there's lots of things they don't understand about us humans. In the uh, sixth episode, we have that uh, mystery of the surviving expedition, remember?
2: Oh,
0: yeah, jo- isn't oh, yeah
1: that...
0: Yeah, jo- Josie Hunter who comes back mm. to, and it's a mystery. First, she seems to be suffering from sort of some sort of post-traumatic uh, stress. Uh, interesting that she's played by Julia Aubrey, who also played another sinister woman in Primeval. In fact, she played the main villain yeah. in Primeval. Yeah. She was his
2: wife, weren't she? Mm. Yes. Uh,
0: and I sort of thought, oh, have you become typecast now? Is <laughs> playing because she is actually very good at playing kind of women with that kind of thousand-yard stare. There's those moments when she's kind of just sitting there looking at her children, and it's genuinely that is genuinely tense.
1: Yes, mm. yeah, it was very good. That
0: I think it was good
2: actually because you are saying about being typecast. It actually showed a range because when she is the real character you know the emotion towards the children and the softness in her face mm. compared to that harsh version which as you say we've seen before in uh, in prime evil it, it wore a nice contrast but i think one of the things one of the main things i actually like about this show and it links into what you were saying about um julius uh bird Berge, is comment that every character is not clear-cut mm. like you you could artificially sort of say, "Well, this group are the good guys; this group are the bad guys," but I don't. I don't think it's clear cut. Every good guy seems to have a major flaw, and quite and uh, and quite a big flaw. Not not a case of um, you, know, the, you know the the kid na- do a bit of pickpocketing. You know, it seems to be <laughs> quite negative. And and same you know with Julius Berger, we on season one alone, you you really put. Berger in a in the evil camp but mm. who knows what his true plan was and maybe what he was working on could have been for the advantage of of fort haven and survivors who are going to live in in uh, carpathia yeah, but we you know we'll never know there, there's always two sides to every character and i really like that about
0: mm. it that is that is one of the things i do like about the ser- uh, the series like i said. On paper, it should work really well because lot, most of these characters are quite interesting and I do like that sort of grey areas. I mean, Julius Berger is a good example because you're never quite sure, thanks to Eric Mabius' performance, how much he believes what he's saying at, at, at any moment. It's it's hard to tell whether he's just saying whatever needs to be said to advance his plan to ultimately be in charge. That seems to be his main driving force. Mm. And yet there are other times when you think maybe he does genuinely believe he is some kind of instrument of the That's the cool. universal spirit, as he calls it. Really? Either way, it's dangerous. I think a theme that comes out of outcasts is that often the most dangerous people are the people who think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, uh Richard uh president tate richard tate is a classic example of this mm-hmm. I, I think he, it's really interesting that in the first episode especially he seems a fairly sort of decent upstanding sort of character but we keep discovering he's all these terrible things he's done sort mm-hmm. of like for the he's very much a kind of for the greater good kind of a character in the way that, uh, well, ordering the ACs to be killed is a major one. Also, but even before that, the way he was conditioning these clones or trying to condition them and just kind of using them like
1: things. Well, it's like in that episode with the uh, pioneer guy, he said he wasn't actually the first one to set foot on Carpathia. It was an AC, but no one ever, it was like mm. kept secret and quiet that
0: yes i thought that was a good twist that so it does seem that in the future unfortunately we have developed a new sort of slave cast
2: sorry maybe i would just Mm. think whether that's an offshoot of the article uh, the the announcement that rebecca read about you know originally it was supposed to be a planet of if you like criminals who will get a reprieve but maybe that's what you end up evolving into the the story that they originally planned out with the criminals ended up being the ACs, even though the ACs are not quite as bad as a group of criminals. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why you also get that grey area with all the characters as well. That if you had, if you did have a group of characters who were all criminals and trying to create a new civilization, there would always be, be that element where some characters will be slightly more good because the thing, regardless of whatever we have done in the past, mm-hmm. we, we've got to survive, and then the others would. Always have that dark element of always trying to have the advantage. So, uh, I, th- I think it, it, when you, because I had not heard that uh, statement before, uh, Rebecca, when you said mm. that, well, actually, if if they could have done that, some of the characterization would have been even better because of, because of that element. Cass as well, when his mysterious background, yeah, you know that that plays into that criminal double side sort of
0: thing do wonder if uh, I, he was a character who sort of like was always there in the design of it this sort of this man who's trying to put the demons behind him and, mm. and you do feel for him i think he is uh in part thanks to daniel may's performance uh of him he is quite a a sympathetic character even even when he he makes Terrible choices sometimes, but uh, you, you understand why. And Daniel Mays is very good at that kind of character—beaten down but fundamentally decent kind of bloke. He's good at blokes. He is. is yeah. Daniel Mays. How, how do you feel about uh, Stella? Stella Ison, played by Hermione Norris.
2: Well, I mean, I love Hermione Norris anyway. I think. Yeah. She's she's one of them that you you know what you get with her, and and, and she always delivers. Uh, a good performance um i think what surprised me more about her character is how you get that great concern as is as a husband or, or, or daughter survived and then when a daughter actually does survive and and is on carpet and she discovers it there seems to be that distance between them which i weren't quite expecting i get that they hadn't seen each other for years because she went before and all that but it, I, I thought there'd be, because of the concern she had, I thought there'd be a lot more uh, maternal instinct, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there wasn't, which, and then it creates this tension, which is, you know, great in itself, but you sort of, I'll be quite surprised by that.
1: I, I like Stella. Um, I just hated her daughter, though, because it mm. just seemed like she Lily was being really unreasonable in saying, you left me and stuff. It's like, How how could she not understand that at the time they were picking whoever it is, the Earth government, Earth evacuation programme, picking certain people, it was out of Stella's hands. At the same time, I think that's a very odd decision of the evacuation programme to have these people go without their families.
0: It does, I mean, in some ways I can understand, you know, if there's, obviously there's limited space on a particular spaceship and... They feel that Stella's got the skills that they need. Since there's a fair amount of dodgy politics going on in in this series, I could actually see her saying, I don't want to go. And they used her family, basically, to pressure her
1: mm. to
0: go with that. So we can guarantee a place for your husband and uh, daughter, you know, if if you take this mission. So, I can understand how that could happen. I do agree with you, Rebecca. I think Lily is is a hard character to, to warm to. You Again, you sort of understand where it's coming from, but yeah. it goes on yes. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, for an awful lot.
1: Yeah, it goes on a bit too long. And it's like she has another strop on during the uh, whiteout, you know, a big storm which was killing people. Mm. And Lily's like, I want to just dropping the bomb. Oh, I want to come back to live with you now. And is like, Oh, I've got someone who was in trouble, so having to stay over. And Lily goes off in total, Kevin, the teenager, just Oh, not fair! You suck. And it's like, <laughs> and you're just like, come on! You're in the middle of a dangerous, life-threatening storm. Mm. What do you want to do? You want you want to kick this person out?
0: Yeah, I know you'd be. In fact, one of the things I did like about uh, Stella is that she actually that she reached her limit and actually yeah. said, look. You know, I can't live with you. I can't live with someone who's continually having a go. And mm. uh, said, "Yeah, I think you're you. You know, you do need to find somewhere else." As in a way, call a bit a bit of tough love, basically, and sort of like mm. t- call her bluff. Uh, and and in that, I did like. I had slight reservations with Stella. Uh, mainly, just think that she's apparently the head of security, mm. and she's also a psychiatrist, which seemed an odd mix and the fact that she's she's the head of security with the this mind reading machine. Yeah. Which it struck me well that's a bit of a conflict of interest, I feel, going on there. Well I found it were well, weird because she came across more
2: like a science science type character. Yeah. Who mm. uh, who we'll, we'll just deal like with the technology and stuff like that. And you don't really interact that much with the security uh, in terms of like being in charge and doing it I, I feel there's still Liam Cunningham who was saying we need to get a patrol on that we need to I mm. mm. in the prison and I'm thinking well who's who's in charge you know uh, it's a bit weird.
1: The security seemed under equipped to me as well like they're in these dangerous situations and the amount of times they just like the other guys have got guns whereas Cass and Fleur are like hey we've got high vis jackets on <laughs> well
2: that's another weird thing isn't it because when we were talking about earlier about saying um you know how there's no cars uh, well vehicles and 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 stuff like that there seems to be a hampering on things like uh technology and i mean like the don't allow weapons in for in in mm. fo- even um the technology like the 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 big technology see in the central area where you know where where Liam Cunningham's sorting everything out, but outside of that, other than old-fashioned radio, you don't really see much. I mean, I'm not to Get me wrong. I'm not expecting them to have Telly or all like that. But mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a futuristic program, but but people don't have futuristic things in their own normal lives. If that makes if I'm getting
1: to cost Yes, money. it's yeah. it, it's inconsistent because in episode. Was it five where they went to the beach? You know, because Stella's like, oh, no, look at these skeletons. This is amazing. I want to study them. And then they get washed away and she leaves. And we're like, why didn't she take a photograph? Uh, It's not consistent because you got in that episode where Cass is doing the runaround and he does take a photo with a handheld, some kind Mm. of handheld device. He takes a photograph of a document. And we were like, wait. So he's got that. So why haven't we seen that before? And mm. the communication range seems inconsistent as well. Because so many episodes, it seemed like they couldn't communicate with each other out beyond the borders of mm. Fort Haven, which again seems to hamper them and create unnecessarily dangerous situations where Cass and Fleur are outside and they're on their own, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do know they do have sort of these detect. Mm. We do, they do have transmitters and antennas out there in, in the desert and because uh in the, in the third episode with the whiteout, we had those those two guys get uh uh-huh. trapped out there but yeah like you said seems what's useful to the plot at this point
1: it does seem like a very badly thought out colony really it's like we won't have land mm-hmm. vehicles we won't have ways of communicating with each other and we'll just build a tiny space and trap everyone inside it
0: the idea that they've landed in the ship and then they take the ship apart to build build the colony that's good design and i like the way it's reflected in the way the buildings look and everything Mm. you can see sort of bits of ship Scattered around the the colony,
2: you've got those elements where some areas look really rough, and particularly most of the housing looks rough, except mm-hmm. for the central command, which I can under you know I understand you always get that, don't you? The, you know, ship's captain gets the nicest room of <laughs> everyone else, but you think where the like some of the materials are like thinking, well, you know, they're limited to what they've got, what they can make. And yeah, and they've only been there for ten years. Oh, the the you know, the, the colony's only been there for ten years. But yeah, you do have that really nice area and the really rubbish area. And if you're in the nice area, like when you see Cass's room and he's got like the nice silky looking sheets and all that, and you just think,
0: <laughs> oh, Well, how's that? This is something I picked up from the making of documentary that's on the uh on the blu-ray it's not actually mm-hmm. it said in the series that everyone had like an allocation of what they could bring uh in the case of uh of tipper the young man who's the mathematical genius that he's like used nearly all his allocation on vinyl which is <laughs> why so he sort of that mm-hmm. that's why he sort of set himself up as a as a dj so i suppose and it, it could be that cass brought his nice bedding with him possibly but mm.
2: I mentioned that I, I did really like that character. I I, I just enjoy it when he was on screen he was enjoyable to watch. And then when you get that extra element that actually is he's you know, he's quite a bit of a genius, he just hides it. It it you just give him a very a different dimension 'cause he's like not what you expect and and then it just makes him even more interesting.
0: Mm, he definitely grew on me over the he's a bit uh well, it's part of his character. He's pretty much in love with himself. He definitely sort of sees himself as this kind of roguish rebel who's uh, devastating with the ladies at the start. But yeah, once you find out a bit more about him and his history, he, he definitely grew on me over, over the series. Just trying to talk about uh, Fleur Morgan.
1: Yeah, because she turned out to be... She was in, what was it called? The Omega the Omega It was... So she was in AC as well,
0: wasn't she? It's a very nice performance. From, um, yeah, said. I like
1: Fleur. I like
2: her a lot, yeah.
0: Yeah, by uh, Amy Manson. Uh, I don't think I've really seen her in anything else, really.
2: No. You know, when I went to up I saw that she, she's done some stuff in America more recently. But I still, she, she might be one of them that, sort of uh, you always get one act, don't you, sorta is of, in lots of things but you don't notice him and it's not because the the bad at acting or anything like that. They just they just seem to fade into the sound in, in a natural way. Um but she, mm. she was great in our uh, I love the you know the, the, the tease in between her and Cass and then the mm. next bit where she has the fling with um the, the security chap.
0: Jack Holt.
2: Decold, yeah, yeah, um, I, I've, yeah, there were a lot of different elements to her. There were, there was, it was good.
1: Seeing she's been in a lot of stuff I've watched, but yeah, it's all from quite a while ago now. So, like Desperate Romantics, Torchwood, Misfits, Atlantis, you know, big yeah. parts and stuff. So she's done quite a lot of stuff I've seen. Despite a lot of great
3: actors, including Liam Cunningham, I just didn't really warm to any of them apart from Daniel Mays as cast. Is mm. the only one who seems to have any kind of humor, which we we mentioned, but just some kind of likability. I don't know how cliched the reformed criminal is, but he, you know it's a good character and he plays it well. Mm. And and you know Fleur just feels like a wet blanket half the time. Kind of like, oh no, I don't know what to do. Do I go talk to the ACs or do do I do what Tate wants? And then, obviously, it turned out she was technically one of his children, one of his advanced scenes. Yeah. But I, honestly, I, I just I sit like any of them, and and I'm jumping on the bandwagon, you know. Uh, Lily <laughs> was awful,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know. She, um, she is sort of like more. She's like more than being a normally annoying teenager. She's a very self-centered madam.
3: Yes, tell was okay, but again, it's like. You said, you know, she's a psychologist and she's head of security. And mm. and I'm thinking about the ethics as well of that dream device. But, you know, the ethics obviously you don't use it to question people. But, you know, it's there as a kind of equivalent of a holodeck, I suppose, to to remember nice things because you're stuck, stuck away from Earth, never going back uh, the, separate
0: from your loved ones. I think it's called the DVM. Oh, yeah, I might be wrong on that.
3: It's, yeah. It's something like that. Um I can't on handwriting some days
0: but one character who was um, surprised you didn't see that was a I, I thought they played a nice touch in surprising us was uh, the character played by jamie bamba who was at that time was fairly high profile because of being one of the leads of battlestar galactica mm. and uh, as mitchell hoban uh, an expeditionary, one of the we we discover one of the sort of leading expeditionary members, who finds himself that he uh, there isn't a place for him increasingly.
1: Uh, yeah, well. it's a very odd relationship this town has with the XPs, isn't it? Because they're almost treated like a nuisance. Like mm. they do all this hard work of exploring and mapping out the area, and everyone in the town just treats them like. Scum. Well, we don't get a real
0: impression of how what the kind of man in the street yeah. thinks about the XPs. We, we, in fact, actually, we rarely kind of get much of a feeling of what the what life is like for the average colonist in this series. Because mm-hmm. in a way, we're always in head office most of the time yeah. with the, the president and his uh, circle of people around him. So, in fact, I think that is a, a, something of a weakness of the series, that they're, they're very much wallpaper, really, the inhabitants. We, we generally, they're just a, a people en masse who are generally either being threatened or they're just kind of walking about in the background. Yeah. And, uh, or being, it seems, easily misled by Julius Berger or by Diamonds. Actually, the diamonds incident, I think one of the things I quite liked about that is that we were finally getting to see a bit more of day-to-day life in the colony.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting one, because it's like, okay, so they have a currency system on this planet.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so it's like, so diamonds seem to have some kind of value.
2: But you couldn't understand why, could you? you couldn't, no. You? It... what other than saying that diamonds are worth something, you couldn't see how people could use diamonds in any other yeah you know context. It was very bizarre in that respect,
0: yeah. I think that was kind of the point of it that they were in people were why did diamonds have value because they're diamonds, basically, and because they have that allure of wealth and riches about them, even though they're not yeah, you know unless you want to cut some glass somewhere or something like that, they are not that practical. but uh, Although I must admit, I was a little bit surprised about how incensed the the people in charge seemed to get about the diamonds very, very quickly. It was like, oh no, this is something we can't control, these diamonds, so we must get rid of them, outlaw them as soon as possible.
1: Speaking of in control, they've got a council, because you've got President Tate, but mm. he can't just do whatever he wants. Decisions have to go through with the council, which jo- uh, mm-hmm. Julius Berger get ends up on or tries to get on. And we don't actually see the council till the final episode, so they're like this shadowy, mysterious mm. group for a lot of it.
0: And for a series that feels like it has all the time in the world, you know, you feel there's a lot of space that could be filled there with the uh, with more detail and. And more characters just just go just going back to uh, Mitchell Holborn for a moment, I did find that storyline in itself was really interesting. I think that is a that issue of when men lose it and they have mm. breakdowns it's their uh, you know they take it out on their families and they become a threat to their families sometimes uh I think that is a real real issue, and I think that was handled. Quite well, uh, it's just somehow in that first, but somehow for that first episode, because it's the sort of main subplot of the first episode, it was sort of the wrong place. Maybe that was a story that should have been told a little bit later on,
2: yeah, or, uh, or whether as well. Um, because obviously, there was the, there's the interview with Ben Richards where he says they wish he'd somehow made episodes one and two a, like a pilot episode, a longer. Mm. But, and so you've got the the bigger narrative of of those two storylines t- together maybe that would have give you a wider context to this world that we're watching
0: mm. i did wonder i was been thinking about this you know how how i would fix anyway that you know get people in you know fix those first two episodes possibly with thinks maybe do some real compression possibly the whole business with the uh, the last colony ship approaching the planet, almost have that almost as the prologue. That's like, kind of like the pre-credit sequence mm. and have it destroyed before the titles roll. And then you could bring in the hunting for survivors and all that episode two stuff about the hunting for the survivors and bring that into the first episode.
1: Maybe bring in some more of the mysteries a bit further. Uh, Into the first episode, or seeing Mm. them better because it's too much of a slow burn. It's a very slow burn. Yes, it doesn't hook you in quick enough. Because
2: the thing is, as well with the the thing with the entities, as well is that even though they may have been responsible for that illness that was affecting them at the beginning, you get the impression that they've not really made themselves known to the main group at Fortive until this point, ten years later. Which is quite interesting really. So you know, you could have you could have featured that in episode one, you know, be like a first contact situation of or a first hint of something else is going on. Or or if it's been with him all along, make some mention of some of the weird stuff that's that's happened. But instead it's like it just sort of comes in halfway through the series and you you think, well, you've you've been here ten years and you've not noticed anything up till now.
0: Yes, I, I actually I, I I agree. I think first episode definitely should have had a bit more explicit alien weirdness going on to it. Not not too much, but it's too subtle. I mean I assume yes. the business with the boy going talking about Tiger Tiger burning bright, that was something to do with linking to the aliens. Although that whole thread, we never see that boy again.
1: I was just going to say, I'd cut that stuff with the boy saying tiger, tiger, burning bricks. It never feels like it gets paid off.
0: No. Exactly. and I, uh, But you feel like it's meant to be going somewhere mm. in, that, in that episode, or, or that that boy is going to become a significant character. And uh, and and neither thing happens. So I think yes, having bringing in the and I think that might get the audience in a way reassured that it's not just going to be about grumpy people standing in a a desolate bit of South Africa. To well,
1: it. maybe they could have had as I don't know the cliffhanger of the first episode, someone discovering the uh, humanoid remains, hominid mm. remains, and, and then maybe it being covered up or something and as you know, while they're like what's going on, this is a mystery and maybe get that as a hook as well, saying, Look, there's weird stuff going on and there's cover ups and things and
0: Yeah, I, I really like that idea of but we the audience know there's alien weirdness going on here. Mm, I that, think that
2: I'll
0: make next podcast for you, Gareth it should be just us
2: replaying outcast but the way it should have been.
0: <laughs> the way it
1: should've been i guess yeah, maybe they could have tied that in with why the xps were going off on one because yeah at that point you're kind of like well what is the beef exactly between the xps and yeah pass mm. and maybe they could have done tied that in with the idea of yeah having a cover up at the, with the hominid remains or something
2: i mean episode one doesn't feel like an episode one i think had episode two been episode one maybe that had a- Felt a bit better.
3: Mm. I have to. I have to
2: mention as well. Actually, before before John mentions it,
3: it's, it's all right, Nikki. You, you can go ahead and embarrass yourself.
2: Is uh, <laughs> we, were, we were talking the other day on on um, podcast I was recording, and uh, I accidentally mixed up uh, Bamber and Mabius and I didn't realise it was only full time to jump because I'd, I'd seen both Battlestar Galactica and Ugly Betty, but because I I, I knew that. Bamba was in Outcast and, and because the face of Mabius was so recognisable to me I just merged the two mm-hmm. and we were having this conversation and then and, and John, John just says uh, <laughs> he just said to me he says no you, you're mixing them up and he says you're gonna you're gonna have to say on the podcast or I'm gonna mention it so I thought <laughs> I'd mention it before John jumps in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thinking about it maybe it's, uh, one thing we were watching uh, I was watching it with with my partner Tina and and she was kept saying he's so slimy and, mm-hmm. and horrible why on earth does any was does anyone sort of like listen to him or go along with him because he's so obviously a dangerous nasty piece of work and I kind of agree but then I thought you know, we we live in a world where we had President Trump, or, so maybe it' not as uh, bizarre as it seems.
1: Well, Julius Berger reminds me of the kind of people you see used to see on Penn and Teller's. Can I say it, the name of it? Is yeah Yeah, Penn and Teller's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Where they're looking at all these people, like people who claim talk to the dead, or mm. you know, they're hucksters with alternative wacky medicines and stuff. And Julius Berger reminds me of those kind of people.
0: I mean, it's quite entertaining. On one level to watch, Mm. and I must admit, his slimy political manoeuvrings are one of the reasons why the later episodes are a bit more entertaining. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: But and he he plays he plays the part well.
1: Yeah, amount of times when watching it, and I'd keep pausing it and say, "John, I hate him so much. Oh, I hate (laughs) that guy."
3: (laughs) Yeah, Julius Berger. Now I watched some of Ugly Betty uh, just because. My wife was watching it. I was in the room. I think it was half likable in Ugly Betty. I don't think it was quite with JR. I think it was like the owner's son or something. Kind of overprivileged uh, white guy. But I think he liked Betty because I think he, she was his personal assistant, I think. Mm-hmm. So, again, they've brought, well, he is the renter the yank of of this series, isn't he? (laughs) Let's bring in an American. We've got Jamie Bamber from Bell Star, who's British, but let's bring in an American in. So he's the American guest star that all the budget's gone on, probably.
0: Um,
3: Yeah, he he is. I didn't like him from the beginning, which I suppose is is good writing and acting, but he's he's kind of false religion. I I don't think he's religious at all. He's using that to get to people. But it reminded me, and uh, funnily enough, running with Battlestar Galactica. I oh. guess Baltar started his own religious cult in opposition oh. of uh, Laura Rose and Adama's running the, the fleet. He, he's he got this one true god thing going, hasn't he? Mm. Uh, uh, making radio broadcasts and, and, and surrounded by women. You know, just the whole Julius Berger doing his religious gathering was the same thing. Getting a place on the council through mm. through his influence. For Amtabaltar. to Baltar, he was elected oh, yeah. as, as a representative of of his planet on the uh, on the Council of Twelve. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that was in Ben Richards' mind, but but you know obviously it it must have been in the back of it because mm-hmm. I would presume if he wants to write science fiction he, he must be a fish, an aficionado of some kind.
1: We will John on watching together. Yeah, the amount of times I'd just be like, I hate him. <laughs>
0: I mean, that. I think that's an example of good writing uh, that, mm. that that we do. Yeah, despite I mean, every time someone goes along with him, you're sort thinking, "No, why? Why is is he convincing people?" Yeah, it's very good,
2: isn't it? I mean, like you said about Trump, it's, it's playing on people's wants and needs. Into he? he he finds those weaknesses and plays on them,
0: yes. as well mm.
2: as the op, as well as the opportunistic things of the events that just happened to happen that particular week. He, he finds a way of fi- finding those bits to, 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 to be able to pressure or persuade people to his point of view. Because when you watch it, you, you totally don't buy that he's is, is, is suddenly developed this religious... That, that's why he's peddling, as you, as you said, Rebecca, like the phony, psychic uh, people mm. in our culture.
0: Well, we, we've touched on pace... Talking through this and in some ways we do seem to be in an era of sometimes slow television, especially when a series is launched on a streaming channel and they put all the episodes on it and it seems to have given some writers and directors a kind of justification or it's allowed them to say, you know, I don't need to worry about that first episode and making an impact because I'm telling the story over however many episodes it is.
1: Well, I think you've got a point there because you've got shows like Picard and stuff, which are very much telling one story across 10 episodes. And in the age of Netflix, you've got um, different lengths of episodes. So you look mm-hmm. at something like Discovery and the or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and you get some episodes which are 65 minutes. Some can be as short as 39.
0: You know mm. they vary
1: a lot, and I think Outcasts might suffer from the old style broadcasting rules of every episode's got to be exactly the same. It's got to be an hour, and I and know Ben Richardson—is it Richardson or Richards?
0: Uh, Richards.
1: Yeah, Richard said in an interview, saying it might have suited forty-five minute format better with mm. a nine-minute opener.
0: I I agree. I think that's the interview that he does in Den of Geek,
1: which yeah. is
0: a a, a really in- uh, I can certainly recommend. Uh, people reading that interview if they want to find out more about Outcasts and the thinking behind it. It is it is a fascinating uh, and quite frank uh, interview with Ben Richards about the series. Uh, I actually quite agree with him. I think a lot of series, not just Outcasts, I think a lot of series would benefit from the discipline of 45 minutes, mm. uh, an episode. Uh, I, it, it is a little bit of um, a bugbear of mine Some series I think the, the, there's a point where you think This isn't rich, it's just indulgent now You know, yeah. the, the, the things... Like Walking
1: Dead to, it, mm. I think they have too many episodes per season Because I lost interest Because you'd have these brief moments of brilliance In Walking Dead That go, this is what I'm here for And then lots and lots of scenes Of people just staring into the trees Being miserable
2: I think it's finding that balance, into it? I mean, mm. you know, like you, I know as, as you are, and, and I'm sure you are, Rebecca, a Doctor Who fan, and there's some episodes you watch that feel a bit pow, 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 mm. and a lot of action, but it's actually not told any story. And then there's some episodes where seemingly nothing happens. And I think it's, it's great that shows, particularly on streaming service, have that, Freedom to breathe, if you will. You're right, it's, it's, just the, it's just the right balance of telling your story, giving an audience a, an entertaining hour or whatever you want, but
0: having that good balance in there. A good first episode is still really important.
1: Going back to that Den of Geek interview with Ben Richards, he does talk about what he wants to do in season two, and mm-hmm. what he wanted to do, and he said it would have been a battle for Carpathia, um, being fought on various fronts with casualties among the main cast. We're going to find out what was where the ACs were going because you know Flair went off with them and what becomes of them. We'll find out more about the fertility issue. But what interested me more and m- made me think of, of Walking Dead is he said that it's that new ship that appears right at the end of season one, which has got us intrigued, CT-10. And he describes the female commander of CT-10 as being... Opposite of anybody else on Carpathia. And he describes her as quite... As almost being like a Negan kind of character. You know, funny, no-nonsense, kick-ass. Sort of, you don't like her and think she's a bad guy at first, but then ends up in a slightly heroic role. But is definitely mm. going to be that kind of... Basically, the way he described it made me think of Negan a bit.
0: I've mm, heard... Yeah, fair mention, but I wasn't watching uh, Walking Dead uh, by the time Negan appeared, so uh, I, I I am vaguely aware of him, because uh, what what sort of a character was D- Negan in Walking Dead? Uh,
1: Ball-breaking, I, I guess. Very mm-hmm. dangerous, uh, very powerful, and a, I guess a bit... What would you say, Nikki, a bit dictatorial authoritarian
2: um i can not i couldn't say i've not seen walking dead at all ah.
1: oh I just looked in my notes and found another thing, element of what season two would have covered which was a selection process because i know julius Berger refers to uh an elimination list and it would have focused on that season two where
0: ah.
1: over who would be fit for modification and who would remain on Tate's side. So it sounded like there was going to be a divide between Berger and Tate. And...
0: Mm, yes, apparently, yes, that um, genetic engineering become more of a theme on in the I mean we've not actually talked that much about the ACs actually, mm-hmm. who are these kind of specially raised clones. I think the impression I get they're they're a bit like the replicants in Blade Runner. And that they arrive as adults. They don't mm. they haven't had a childhood or anything. So they, they they sort of come out fully fully grown from from pods of some kind.
1: Yes it... He's a bit vague on on the early star, isn't mm. it? And
0: There's a scene where Fleur and Rudy are heading back to the camp, and Rudy is full of resentment, on the, with some justification. And I think mean, that's a nice bit of writing, to see you could genuinely see the AC's point about why they should hate Tate and the uh, the colony that he mm-hmm. represents. He's talking about his grievances, you know, and that uh, Tate ordered their destruction. And now they're going to destroy. He sounds like, you know, he's quite happy to go to war with Fort Haven. And Fleur says, what's the point of that? Rudy says, well, he started it. And Fleur laughs at this. And he goes completely a blaze of anger at this, that she's laughing at him because he has no because he's not had a childhood and there's stuff he doesn't understand about he, he doesn't un, he doesn't hear the childishness of what he's just said. Mm. And he's mm. genuinely confused and bewildered. Uh, and I thought that that was a really interesting insight into what the uh the ACs are like.
1: And that's interesting given because Fleur didn't have a childhood either, did she? So mm. is she a later I don't know what we have to wear this a model, later model of these ACs.
2: Or could she have had memories implanted?
0: Yeah. Mm. again, we're going back to Blade Runner again with this sense of they might have had memories added so that uh to give them a psychological base and, and make them easier to control. Which, uh... And
1: um less noticeable, I guess, because no one sussed on Fleur, did they?
0: No, that is true, uh, to some extent. She seems to have been one of the most successful of these uh, experiments that, uh, that Richard Tate seems to have been very much involved in. Uh, we, we don't quite work out quite whether whether he's one of the originators of this process or he's come along later on in it. Mm. Again, that was something that perhaps would have been explored in, in late, later on in the series.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to... This is one of the things the series is a bit vague on and I remember debating a lot of this with John which is how much do the people of Fort Haven know about the ACs before all this all kicks off in the show because we're told there was a disease about five years ago. The ACs got blamed for it. The XPs were told to take them out and kill them. Were the general public aware that these ACs existed and Mm. Another spanner in the works is Pac saying the first man to set foot on, you know, first person to set foot on Carpathia was an AC, so that implies ACs existed. Oh yeah, I think
0: definitely they existed on Earth before we got to this planet. That's that's the impression I get. And I think the fact that the whole community gets so paranoid about them. So there does seem to be a sort of general knowledge that this, these kinds of people exist. But it's interesting to see how people feel about them. Well, we don't find out really yeah. how the average colonist feels about them, really. Beyond that sort of hysteria, we largely see through through Berger.
2: I would say you feel like there was sort of a canary race, weren't there, really? They were created, you drop them on that planet, just leave them a bit, see if they they get killed by the gas, and if not, then we'll pop down there and, and do his work type of thing. Um I think that's some of the element that I got from
1: yeah.
2: from that. And but there, it's interesting we are doing the Fleur storyline, um, because obviously we've we've talked that Jamie Bambo was in here from um um Battlestar Galactica, and it makes mm-hmm. you wonder if they've done that sort of uh, Battlestar Galactica uh, element of mm. you know, it's a Cylon type of thing, and whether other characters would have been discovered as being ACs.
0: Mm. Yeah, good point Yeah So yeah. Outcast was undoubtedly it, it, Well, it was not a success With with the mainstream audience Or in fact with the science fiction audience As it turned out And I was wondering about this And I was wondering A lot of the science fiction shows That are a success Have a, a, a strong vein of humour in them mm. Certainly Doctor Who did and Star Trek has traditionally Star Trek has a fair amount of humour in it and actually it relates what you were saying about uh, comic book movies Uh, early on I think one of the reasons Marvel has been so successful with its films is that it's always kind of you can't go too far in a Marvel film without them making a joke about Mm. it does science fiction always has to kind of not take itself seriously or sort of say we're in on the joke to the
1: audience i'm gonna say I'm, I'm, i don't think he always needs sci-fi needs to always be have winking at the camera and jokes to be good i mean look at some early sci-fi like Mass, that's pretty serious and hard and i mm. like that and you've got uh john Pertwee's first season which is very you know quite i mean he's arguably the most serious doctor because you know, those early mm-hmm. episodes like Ambassadors of Death, they're very are played very straight. There's no joking about or anything and they're quite like that.
2: I think I think it's it's our audience's taste of change though, isn't it? Like I think, you know, everything was very dramaful when you think of the Quatermass era mm-hmm. in terms of television. Um, but I still think some of the best shows when they take themselves seriously are the ones that shine. Um I mean personally as a kid, I'd, I'd, I'd watched the original Star Trek and seen a bit of TNG and not really watched the rest. And um, a couple of years ago, me and my partner made a deal and she agreed to watch all of Doctor Who and I'd watch all of Star Trek because um, she's a Trekkiean and I'm a Whovian. Mm-hmm. And uh, DS9 is my favourite era. And I think, don't get me wrong, they have those lighter episodes like in a lot of those long shows do. But it's that darker element that that makes it so. should is a the straighter element. I mean, when it's serious, it is serious. It doesn't, you you know, and I, and I like that when shows do that, where they can have, in, instead of trying to all the episodes be be, um, the same, we they can have very serious episodes and then some light-hearted episodes, um. But then you look at something like The Expanse, which is managing to carry on to survive through. Uh, the streaming services, obviously, it starts on Sci-Fi, then Netflix, now Amazon, and that—that that is is completely serious. There's not much humour in that at, at all, or, or anything light-hearted that would keep uh, um, someone who just wants to have something on the background while they're doing the knitting. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't. You've got to watch every minute of that. Um, so it, I, I do I do think you can have it. It's just How much of the audience is afraid these days?
0: The outcast, perhaps it just—it sort of needed some more humor in it.
1: Mm. I think it's a bit unrealistic in how unrelentingly poor-faced everyone is. Everyone's serious and acting like everything's Mm -hmm. life and death. And I mean, there are life and death situations, but everyone's just constantly straight, hard, grim-faced and serious and no one you know prats about or anything the, the most you get is Cass and Fleur having a bit of a little bit of banter but it's not much
3: you know they should have brought the alien bit in earlier on on, you know maybe have Jamie Bamber's character find the skeletons you know he knows about it and that's why he's killed you know mm-hmm. um, and, and just like you know it just needed more pace because they put all the action in the trailers but not into the episodes <laughs> and and obviously I know that you know the production was quite rushed. You know, it's like mm. Ego, you go, you're commissioned go in and film it in a year or whatever. It's like ah all hands to the pump kind of thing, wasn't it? Um yeah, and,
0: uh, apparently one episode fell no, I think he says this in the Gender Geek that one episode fell mm. through and they had to write another one very fast.
3: Yeah. To, he, uh, yeah. Well one of them's a, a co written episode, so I imagine that that, that could have gotten through a crisis as well
1: that's going back to that currency thing again because they have money
0: but they
1: don't have because they clearly have money because they spend it in the bar and you got the stuff Mm. about the diamonds but other than the bar where Mm. do they use money how do they use it how do they earn it who give? you know
0: that's it who who is actually producing it you know uh we never really get that sort of sense of what kind of economy do they have? Is it all being sort of centrally provided uh is um or have people set up? are people making crockery for example mm-hmm. you know or or clothes is anyone making clothes these kind of things we um we never really get a sense of it uh, yeah. so
2: the the other the other thing I thought is um but the, the only criticism of outcasts that Ben Richards tries to challenge that I did disagree with him is that uh, there, there was the criticism of that you've got that um, middle-class elite and not so much, you know, your, your, your lower class. is very much that class system. All right, we have some variances in terms of, get um, yeah, some accents in there. But, but, but it is interesting, I do... I do agree that there's not much diversity and and linking back to what we were saying earlier about because we don't know what happened on earth was it an east and west thing most people are british other yeah. than um berger and um uh the chap and battle star galactica mitchell uh, thank yeah you. everyone's
1: british and there's a lack of lgbt characters well there's only the barman who's implied to be lgbt and beyond and you don't mm. really know anything about him he's just there it may as well be curtains you know the scenery. so we don't but no one in the main cast is lgbt so there's no diversity there either
0: mm, it's uh it's surprising i think i mean it's. i think it's more probably a, an unconscious bias mm. uh effect uh, happening there but uh you certainly if you you'd think if it was being made now yeah it would be a different makeup of the cast i think
1: there are plenty of female characters which is good to see so it's not
0: that is a good thing, yes. Good
1: and and I would say
2: decently written female characters as well. Mm. Maybe not, you know. Not Lily. Not Lily. No, <laughs> not Lily. But but you do get some really complex and you know they're not just there type of thing. It is it is a proper character.
0: Mm. <laughs> I think we're we're coming round to the final thoughts. I think on Outcasts. So. I'll turn to you first Rebecca and I'll say how would you sum up Outcasts in a few a few words
1: um I'd say you know it's got quite a few of the right ingredients but it doesn't quite mix well and it doesn't it has potential and it gets most interesting at the end with that cliffhanger of who are these who's this mysterious ship why have they kept themselves secret and only revealed themselves at the end and you want to know more about that there's stuff you want to know more about but you don't feel like stuff gets the mysteries get enough attention and there's just a lot of nothing in between a lot of padding
2: yeah I totally agree i think um it's a show that's visually stunning um it's got a lot of elements that can keep your interest it would have kept your interest better had it been played out better um Worth a watch, and it does leave you wanting more at the end. I think. Well, oh, I felt this this yeah. time round. I felt that way. I did want to know what was coming ne- in next season. Uh It's just a shame we we don't get it really.
3: Yeah, just just summing up. I I just think it was a a failed experiment. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, obviously the BBC and other broadcasters. I got more bold. And, and were willing to give sci-fi more of a chance because of Doctor Who's success. Uh, only, what, five five years before this? So five, six years, yeah. It's um it's a failed experiment, and it is a shame, that it ended on a cliffhanger, and, and, you know, it just had no mercy. I think moving it from a Monday, Tuesday to Sunday possibly didn't help the ratings, but then Ben Richards said it actually did. So what do I know? But I, I don't regret watching it, and uh, mm. you, you know I, I'm not holding the vendetta against against you, Rebecca for making me watch it. But um, <laughs> I I just think it just it was too slow. It needed to spread its story out by bringing things in earlier.
0: I I agree. I think it is a series which did have a lot of potential. There's a a lot of good elements in it, and you can't deny the hard work of everybody in creating a drama like this and from the ground up. A lot of the characters are pretty well-rounded uh, mm. and in- and interesting, but somehow the whole thing gets weighed down with this, yeah, this sense of, in fact, it's not even exciting sort of uh, gloom. If there is such a thing as there's just a sort of gloom about it all, and it's that makes every episode nearly every episode a bit of a trudge through. It.
1: Mm. I think what epitomized it for me was I think one of might have be, been uh, Stella asking Tate, say, Do you ever dream of back home on earth? and Tate responds with, I don't dream of places, I dream of people. And it's like <laughs> you can dream about both, mate. Why you sound so deadly serious? You're just talking about dreams dreams are weird. And he's like, I don't dream of places. I just thought, why is he talking like that? It just felt yeah. weird. Weirdly <laughs> you... serious when you normally you just talk about oh, I had a weird dream last night about I don't know, Liverpool.
0: <laughs> that that yeah, I think you you put your finger. I think that is actually a good quote that that sums up. What is kind of the the problem with Outcast? There's a there's a pretentiousness mm. of hanging over it that, uh, that 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 stops it ever properly taking flight, or at least giving people enough confidence to give it that second season that would have uh, ironed out some of the, some of the uh, the problems. Like I said, part of me, if he had written that novel. That he spoke about writing, mm. you know. At this point, I might have been interested in picking it up to find out what happened. Yeah. what happened next.
1: So, I, I'd read it.
3: So, so I wonder why that never materialised.
0: Uh, I suspect he just got too busy with other projects. Because uh, okay. certainly, yeah, all all the sort of main behind the scenes people, in terms of the producers and directors, of all, gone on to other prestigious. Uh, glossy uh, TV uh, productions. It doesn't seem to have harmed anybody's careers, really. Outcasts. No, it's
3: because nobody remembers it, Gareth. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to be cruel. You, you know, this isn't the King Big podcast where we come to bury outcasts.
0: <laughs> so, thank you very much there. Before we, before we finish, I really want to find out a bit more because both of you have got very interesting podcast projects of your own that you're starting up and I would love to hear a bit more about them. So, Nikki, I believe yours is called Unended. Do you want to uh, tell us a bit more about it?
2: Sure. Um, Well, basically, I got the idea while watching um, Dark Skies, um, uh, which was a 90s series Uh, and I I did that thing like we've done with with Outcast, wondering where it would have gone on and then I thought well wouldn't it be a great idea to look at shows that didn't get an ending and and explore what might have been had it continued we've unfortunately due to unforeseen circumstances it's been a bit delayed we've recorded one episode now we've got some planned which Rebecca uh, uh, has kindly agreed to be in an episode and uh, I know Gareth you you've suggested Mm. it You will, and uh, I'm looking forward to finally getting it out there. Uh, I can't give you a date right now just because I'm worried that something else is going to creep right corner, but um, hopefully coming soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, thank you for the invitation. I am I'm looking forward to that. And uh, and Rebecca, you're, you are part of a team who are bringing together the Tripods cast.
1: So... Yeah, yeah, me and John and my sister Danielle, were, we do a book club and a few months ago we were reading, John had chosen the Tripods trilogy and kind of slipped it through the back door. It was literally last minute in a meeting where my sister's like, wait a minute, we haven't chosen next month's book. And John was like, oh, Tripods. And she's like, okay then. And we kind of left it to last minute because I knew he was going to choose Tripods and we left it to last minute because... We, my sister is so resistant to sci-fi. If you said, oh, it's a sci-fi book, she'd have turned her nose up and gone, mm, no. But she loved it. And she said, if you'd have told me it was a young adult dystopian series from the get-go, she'd have been right on board with it. But because she had this idea of sci-fi in her head, it turns her off. But she was she really fell in love with tripods. and So in-
3: inspired by not jumping on the bandwagon at all, uh, Rebecca, her sister Danny and I are going to be doing uh, a podcast on the tripods called Tripods Cast.
1: I showed a uh, I started showing her the TV series and she got addicted to that as well and wants to, you know, she's got very into it. So we're doing the Tripods Cast where we're going to talk about the books, the TV show and other things as well, like the comics, mm. maybe the game as well.
3: We're starting very soon, but we have a few things on social media. So we're on Twitter uh, at Tripods Cast, uh, Reddit r slash tripods cast and on facebook as tripods cast
0: right well i'll make sure i get those links uh, into the episode description
3: thank you and uh keep keep them peeled uh we'll be unveiling a, a trailer just to keep people sated to prove that
0: <laughs> we are legit very soon oh, that that sounds fascinating i can't i can't wait to hear that oh glad. So, well, I think it just remains for me to say thank you very much to yourselves, Nikki and Rebecca and John, and thank you for taking the time to not only talk about Outcasts but to watch it all again <laughs> as well. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah. It's been fun talking about it.
0: Thanks,
2: Gareth. Yeah, and thanks for inviting us. And. Yeah, it has been great to re watch it. As I say, I weren't I weren't looking forward to it, but I'm I'm really glad I did rewatch. Yeah.
3: Uh, thank you, Gareth. Uh you should rename this the Outcast Podcast. <laughs> because it, it there needs to be an Outcast fandom,
0: so this could be your spin off for the series two. I'm not ready to fly the flag and <laughs> campaign for the return of outcasts. In fact, maybe okay. you could
3: just call it outcast rather than outcast podcast. You know, that's too much of a mouthful.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening and I'll see you again in the future. You have been listening to Very British Futures hosted by Gareth Preston and featuring special guests John Isles, Nikki Smalley and Dr. Rebecca Ray. Music by Chattery Art. You can follow us on Twitter at FuturesVery And visit garethpreston.blog for more news and reviews. This is the last episode of season one, and I want to thank all the marvelous guests who've taken the time to watch these shows and contribute to this podcast. As much as I'm enjoying producing this series, I need to put it on hiatus for a few months so I can concentrate on other work. However, the podcast will be back next year with returning guests and new voices. Already there are some good episodes planned on programmes including Day of the Triffids, A for Andromeda, Sapphire and Steel and The Aliens, amongst others. Until then, goodbye for now.